As we turn our attention to God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to two places. Uh, this will probably happen more often than not through the Creed, that we'll have a couple different spots in Scripture. Um, Isaiah chapter 44, verses 24 through 28. Isaiah is a nice big book, kind of towards the middle of the Bible, and Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, um, which is the first gospel in the New Testament. Isaiah 44 um, Isaiah is one of the prophets of Israel, and the prophets were often those who would, would call the people back. And of course, in Matthew 7, we'll be hearing some of the words of Jesus, through which he gave instruction and direction. I invite you to pay attention as we think about um, today's phrase from the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Oh, but hold on to the slide for now. Um, there we go. That, that one. The that one. Thank you. Um, as we hold on to that phrase of God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, uh, that we pay attention to who is this God that we speak of? And as we think of this almighty and everlasting and all-powerful God, what difference does that make in our everyday lives? Particularly as we read Isaiah, pay attention to the things that maybe God gets credit for being in charge of? Is it big stuff, small stuff, easy stuff? Mm, we'll see. And certainly with Jesus' words, we also will get an understanding of God's character so that we better understand God the Father Almighty. Now the screen's going to stay down, that slide will stay behind me so you can find your place back, but also because a little bit later in the sermon we're gonna, going to read from the Heidelberg Catechism as we understand more about the creeds. Um, and so I did say in elders, I think this, uh, this fall, we're going to have the most fun that anybody's ever had with the Apostles' Creed. To which Mark Nordheis said, that's a pretty low bar. Um, but we can have a lot of fun as we go into um, the core of what we believe and why it matters to us. But before we read God's word together today, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Jesus, you have given us life and being. And if this were not enough, you have given us the gift of salvation through the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And if this were not enough for our forgetful minds, you have given us the gift of your word, robust in what it teaches about who you are and how we might live our lives in ways that are pleasing to you, that bless you and bless our neighbor. And if this were not enough, you have given us the gift of the Apostles' Creed, a summary of what we believe, the core of what we hold to. For these things we give you thanks. So as we read your word today, as we reflect and study the creed together this fall, may you open our hearts, open our minds, that we might open our lives to your leading and guiding and directing. This we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord, through the sovereignty of God the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isaiah chapter 44, beginning at verse 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, 
who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, and of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins, I will restore them, who says to the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams, who says of Cyprus, he is my shepherd, and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Turning also now to Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Jesus said this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, church is a place of the gospel of good news, but first, I've got some bad news. Like, significantly bad news. We are facing probably a continued and yet um, reinvigorated epidemic I'm not saying global pandemic, we're not, we're not going there, but there is an epidemic that we are facing in our culture and in our society, and it is an epidemic of entitlement, an epidemic of entitlement. Now, I know whenever we hear anything with emic on the end, pandemic, epidemic, whatever, we need some evidence to convince us uh, that these claims are true. And if you need evidence to be convinced that the claims of an epidemic of entitlement are true, I would tell you to look no further than talking to people who are in the food service industry, the hospitality industry, or anything customer relations, and you will discover that there is ample evidence for what I would call an epidemic of entitlement. Uh, it's, it's almost something that we're used to, that you just expect people to be rude and demanding and almost emotionally abusive to those around them because they need their needs met. And the person in front of them is not a person, they are an ends to, a means to an end. It's something that we're so used to that it makes headlines when it gets shut down, when people say, no more, I won't tolerate any more of this. Um, in Charlevoix, Michigan, this year, the East Park Tavern, so restaurant somewheres, during their Venetian Festival, which for Charlevoix, I guess, is a, a big tourism thing. There's lots of people coming into town. It'd be like tulip time for Holland. During the Venetian Festival this year, the general manager of the East Park Tavern closed the restaurant down on a Saturday because of outrageous, ridiculous, entitled behavior from far too many patrons in a row. This is a big deal because this is revenue for the restaurant. This is dollars lost during the peak tourism season. This is like a downtown restaurant in Holland closing on a Saturday during tulip time on the principle of saying, no more, we're not going to enable the way people are treating other people in this establishment. 
So a sign was hung on the door. Due to the mistreatment of servers, our kitchen is closed. Because they had to put a stop to the epidemic of entitlement, of the way we can treat people, the way that we can be rude and demanding, and that it was just no longer fair. So the manager said, this is not how I want my staff to be treated, so no more. That is valuing people over profits in an amazing way, but also it points to this epidemic of entitlement, that if we need something, we can treat people however we want to get what we want. It's an epidemic of entitlement. Now, where does it come from? We get this, and this comes in all kinds of other ways. If we would share around tables, or not to delay Sunday school starting, if we would share conversations of the ways that we have been treated at times by people who were demanding, who wanted something from us, and were, make, were willing to make us feel bad about ourselves to get what they want. It could be an epidemic of entitlement. Where does it come from? It comes from a cultural idea that we are at the center, that we are at the center of the universe, we are at the center of our experience, we are the middle, we are what matters. And so everyone around us, they're not at the middle of our little world. Restaurants might be the easiest place to see this take place, where the customer is always right. Although if you talk to people who work in certain industries, they'll be like, the customer is always right has been taken too far. What about when the customer is stupid? To use more biblical terms, what about when the customers need to be rebuked and said, you cannot treat people this way and expect to get what you want. We wouldn't accept this behavior from a toddler. But we can do this for adults because adults live in our cultural mindset at the center of our universe. If I am the customer, then I deserve to get my way. If I'm the person in line at the bank or credit union, I deserve to get my way. And you ever wonder some people in the bank line, it's like, are you learning to use currency for the first time? And no, probably not. Oh, there, I, yeah, our, our folks in that industry are like, oh, dear goodness me, yes. And that's where I'm like, I'm in the center of my little world. Uh, can we move along here, please? But it's often someone has rude demands, ridiculous expectations, because they're at the center of their universe. We are not at the center of our universe. As Christians, the antidote to this epidemic of entitlement that is just a part of our culture, the customer is always right, you get what you want, at the center of our belief as Christians, we should be subverting this with phrases like, I know it starts with I, I believe what I believe, but what do we believe in? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and of earth. Now make no mistake, we have a special place in God's heart, but we are not the center of the universe. This is a message that our culture needs to relearn, that we are not the center of the universe. And so as Christians, we might be mindful that when we interact with another person, it doesn't matter if they're the server and we're the customer. It doesn't matter what the, what the roles and dynamics are. When we interact with another person, we are relating to someone who is also created in the image of God. That means actually that in that, in that exchange, in those conversations, even the transactional ones, God is at the center even of those conversations. God is at the center of those interactions. If that were part of our mindset, it would do us well. 
we would be maybe a little more patient, maybe a little more humble, and maybe a little bit more bold in our rebuke of when people are not so much that way. Entitlement comes when we believe that we're at the center. And the creed starts with this belief, this centrality of God, that God is at the center. And that should change everything about our interactions. God is at the center of every conversation that you are having with someone else created in the image of God. God is at the center of every sunrise that you can behold with your eyes. God is at the center of every stream that runs and the oceans of the deep, as Isaiah says. God is at the center of all of these things. Now, with Isaiah, though, we, we notice something else. Maybe it's something we pick up on if we pay attention to where God is being given dominion. Where is God in the middle? And yes, the answer is God is at the center of everything. God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But we start in, in Isaiah 44, verse 24, with God our Redeemer, who formed us in the womb. Meaning God was at the center of the beginning of your existence. God, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads the earth by himself. This all makes sense, and we could say, of course that's God's domain and dominion. But then, this is a passage about redeeming Jerusalem and rebuilding the city. God is also at the center of activities that we would say are distinctly human. In verse 26, the Lord who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited. Does God determine what cities have what populations? To the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. Does, does God rebuild for us? And yet God is at the center of the towns being rebuilt. And of their ruins, I will restore them. And then we go back to be dry and I will dry up the streams of the watery deep. But then coming back again, he will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be established. It seems that in Isaiah's vision of God at the center, God is at the center of the things that are creation, that, that we don't really have control over, but also that God is at the center of cities being built, of people living in towns. God is at the center of all of these very, what we would say, distinctly human things. That God is at the center of all of our activity in life. That God is at the center of people working together to get the new sign put up. Hooray! And that God is still involved, not any more removed, when a sewer line is backed up. And, well, you know, God is at the center of all of these things. And that Jesus picks up on this too and leaves no room for us to be entitled, though also a tension that we hold is that we are still very blessed, watched over, and cared for by God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who cares for us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our heads without our Father in heaven knowing. We are very, very cared for, but that doesn't mean that we are at the center. It doesn't mean that we are allowed to be the entitled ones. We are cared for in God's providence. We are watched over, and yet we're not the middle here. And, and if we let culture dictate how we live, where we're used to, you can be in the center of some forms of existence. If that's the only way we knew how to relate to God, then we're going to have some problems. 
How do we relate to God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? It is not with the tone of, I am disappointed, I would like to speak to your manager. There is only one person in Scripture, well, no, that's not fair to say. There's one episode in particular in Scripture of Job basically having the, I'd like to speak to the manager moment, and God kind of puts Job in his place of like, I know you've got some complaints. I know that as far as customer satisfaction goes, you are not having a great life on this earth. Job had some bad stuff happen. And yet when Job's like, God, I'm going to tell you off, God's like, excuse me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I put the stars in place? Wait, I'm listening. God is the manager and the creator and the owner and all the other things. It is a little bit sad for me that the epidemic of entitlement has created a sensation online where we refer to overly demanding customers as Karens. Um, if you laugh, you know. If you know, you know. If you don't know, it's kind of funny. Um, I don't like that because I'm like, that's not the Karens that I know. Like, I'm looking at Karen Stodd, I'm thinking of Karen Campice. But also, I'm like, we can come up with a different name that would fit my experience better, but you know what? I'm not at the center of the internet to decide what name we ascribe to the overly demanding, rude, entitled people. But all of us, regardless of what our name is, can be a part of a movement that puts God at the center of every interaction, that every friendship, every marriage, every time that we are in a restaurant or at the bank or working with people that we like or don't like, that God is at the center of those interactions. And God's character matters. And therefore, we ought to be mindful of how, it, how we treat others. This belief in God the Father Almighty isn't some far-off thing. It should be a lived experience that we always think of God being at the center and that we are not. It's like when you explain to your child when, they're stuck in, when we're stuck in traffic and we're all getting a little angsty, oh, I wish all these cars would move. We are traffic to everyone else. We are not at the center. Only God can be at the center, which means the same God who is sovereign over putting the stars in place is sovereign when I am stuck in traffic and hoping that I'm going to make it in time. Now, we can go down a really philosophically heavy road on what God does and doesn't do and our actions and God's actions. But the point is this. Do we live with an idea that God is at the center or not? And that Jesus says, which of you, when your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? I'm just going to put one more plug in for this as someone who hates snakes, that I think my prejudice is validated given that the snake is the bad thing in this example. Good snakes or dead snakes? Jake. <laughs> Jake likes snakes, but I love Jake. Because neither of us are at the center of this relationship. God is at the center of it. But this Bible verse is in my favor. See, that's the Karen move right there. Not the Karens here. The infamous, nameless, faceless, well, faceless internet ones. But Jesus uses this example... And then says, if you then, though you are evil, meaning that though your heart is, has a tendency because it's marked by sin to be selfish, to be self-centered, to be entitled, if you, though you are evil with your inclinations, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, 
God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, give good gifts to those who ask him. So God is saying, providence does mean that I actually care for you. That God does not intend for us to go through life being miserable, and also that we have our part to play in going through life not making other people miserable either. That none of us are at the center. That God and God alone occupies the center. We need to decenter ourselves a little bit from our own worldview. And that should trickle down into all the other human interactions that we have. And it also might trickle down into how we pray to a God who is truly at the center of all things. But Jesus says that this sums up the law and the prophets, that in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. How would you want to be treated? Treat people in this way. It's too bad that not everybody does that because we're still going to get some interactions from entitled people. We're still going to be treated unfairly. We're still going to get frustrated. And some things that just are painful and don't make sense and aren't fair are going to happen in life. And in those moments, too, we say, God, I I wish your providence was working out a little bit differently here. But we are those who are called not to do to others as we have been done but to do unto others what you would have them do to you. That when in doubt, let it start with me, with God's help to get myself out of the center and someone else in the middle. And God and God alone can occupy the center of our lives, the center of our prayers, the center of our families, the center of our workplace understanding. God and God alone is in the center. A good piece of advice that I heard years ago was, you know, when kids start dating and they're going off and everything else, was to not pay attention, well, pay attention to how your date treats you, like that, that matters, obviously. Pay attention to how your, your date treats you. Words are hard sometimes. But pay attention also to how they treat those around them. Because if they're willing to treat the restaurant server, or the person behind the ticket booth with disrespect, then they're also willing to treat you with disrespect. They're just putting on a good front. What's at the center? If God is at the center, it changes every interaction that we have. And this means that we do wrestle with God's providence. We do push against the things that are painful. We do wonder sometimes what God is up to. And yet there are things that we believe and hold to with God at the center of who God is and what that means for us. I invite you to read with me the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 26. And uh, the words will appear on the screen and I'll read the fine print and I invite you to read the bold. The Heidelberg Catechism, was a, it's a document that's part of our tradition. Um, it's part of a Reformed heritage. And catechism sounds like a fancy word, It just means little lessons. And years ago, there was little lessons about the Apostles' Creed, about the Lord's Prayer, about the Ten Commandments that we have, and we benefit from those little lessons today. So as the words appear on the screen, oh, oh, that that just appeared. It was like when I turned my head, everything changed. Um, I will read the fine print, and when on the next slides, when it turns bold, I invite you to respond. This is in a question and answer format. Friends, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty? 
creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because he is almighty God and desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are able and you are desirous of our good. And so as we remove ourselves from the center, and as we remember that you are at the center of the world and of every interaction we have, may we remember that you do care for us deeply, but that you are, you are not our vending machine. You are not our genie that, fixes our, that answers our wishes, but you are sovereign God. So for that which we come before you and say, God, will you please fix this for us? We know that you hear us with your love. And for those times where we simply say, God, this is just hard. And I need to hold it before you. We know that your counsel draws near to us then as well. Lord, for the mysteries of how your providence is worked out in ways that we can see and appreciate and in ways that leave us wondering, we still come to you knowing that you are at the center. And so we trust in your providence and we ask that you simply help us to be faithful as we walk this world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.